Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, we're going to talk about two fascinating situations around the NFL. Later, we're going to discuss the Buffalo Bills and what's happening with Stefan Diggs with our Bills reporter, Elena Getzenberg. But first, we're going to discuss the Minnesota Vikings, a 13-4 and team that seems to be in perhaps self-inflicted turmoil with how they're approaching their roster. And joining us to talk about that is a frequent contributor to this show, one of the smartest people covering the NFL it does excellent work for us, not only covering the league as a whole at ESPN, but also covering the Minnesota Vikings. It's my friend, Kevin Seifert. Kevin, how are you? I'm very good, Bill. Thanks for having me. I hope you're well as well. Of course. I'm excited to talk to you. I feel like I always learn something <laughs> from you when I talk to you. And now I feel like I need to learn about what's happening with the Minnesota Vikings, because... I understand that we're going to get to their record and how maybe they are not as good as perhaps the record suggested, but they are a 13 and 4 team. They won the NFC North comfortably last year, and they are shedding pieces as we go through the offseason. First, it was Zadarius Smith. It appears that Daniel Hunter could be the third person in this group, but the second person who was cut most recently is Dalvin Cook. So, Kevin, let's start there because the Dalvin Cook situation seemed to be sort of looming with this team throughout the entirety of the offseason and eventually led to a release several days ago. So are you surprised it worked out this way? And what, what sort of led to the Vikings moving on from Dalvin Cook? I guess the only thing I was surprised at is that it extended into June. Um mm-hmm. You know, if they wanted to make him a post-June cut, they could have done that in in March. And when they didn't, then you had to try to figure out what they were up to. Um, you know, we all know uh, Kwesi Dofamensa, their general manager, uh, is a you know came up through the analytics side of of several organizations. And um, there's no question that uh, that you know line of thought does not attribute a lot of value to highly paid running backs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dalvin Cook was scheduled to be, I think, the third highest paid in cash and around mm-hmm. there in cap as well for this season after signing the big deal a couple years ago. Uh, he, you know, last year was his fourth consecutive thousand yard season and he played mm-hmm. in every game for the first time in his career. So, like, we haven't really seen you know, visual evidence of an athletic drop off or a physical drop off, but he played in a different scheme and that was Kevin O'Connell's scheme. It wasn't the zone run scheme that Mike Zimmer sort of favored. And um, Mm -hmm. it's just, I think the position is just not as highly valued in terms of getting a thousand yards from a rusher um, currently in this organization than it was under Rick Spielman and and Mike Zimmer. And it's just a philosophical change. And so uh, I, once I I saw those numbers, you know, what those numbers were going to be, like I was under the, you know, strong presumption along with many people that Dalvin Cook was going to, you know, either have to take a huge pay cut, which he probably wouldn't want to do. Uh, many, many players prefer to do that with another t- a new team. Uh, mm-hmm. Or they were just going to cut him entirely. And as soon as they signed Alexander Madison, his backup, to a contract in March, um, re-signed him, he was a free agent, then the, the die was cast as far as I'm concerned. And really what happened after that was just an attempt by Kwesi Adolfo to get something of value back for him, for Dalvin mm-hmm. Cook, and ultimately they could not. Yeah, with Sedarius Smith, who was in sort of a similar boat, not the same positional concerns, but was a player who had a high salary, maybe wasn't going to be back, you know, was on the roster. They were able to get a deal done. They traded them to the Browns. They ate a little over a million dollars in uh, cash from Smith's deal, but got a couple of, I think, a couple of upgraded late round picks. I think they upgraded to a five, if I'm not mistaken, or a couple fives late in the draft yeah uh, in the 2024 and 25 drafts so um one in each of those yeah so i mean small potatoes but they could feel like okay we held on to this guy for a while and still got something out of you know paying that million dollars or so of his deal to get that done with with cook there was not that sort of market and we'll see what he gets on the open market from teams now that he's a unrestricted free agent but did it did it you said you've seen this sort of coming you felt like that number was pretty meaningful but they did go and re-sign alexander madison this offseason so from your perspective was that just a 
we don't think these guys are any different and we're going to just get the cheapest guy? Or was there something about Alexander Madison that maybe appealed to the front office more than whatever was the case with Dalvin Cook? I think they viewed Alexander Madison um, as probably a, a much less expensive uh, and not that you know, player, but not that much of a drop off in performance and production in the offense they ran they run under Kevin O'Connell. And mm-hmm. whatever the difference there is in terms of production and performance, and largely what it'll probably be is the is Dalvin Cook's ability to break a big run, whereas that's not really part of what Alexander Madison is likely to do, is not mm-hmm. worth you know the four or the five times the cap space and cash that uh, that Dalvin Cook would have commanded over Madison. I think Madison's two cap numbers are like three something and four something uh, in the next two years, and he's going to make a total of like seven million in cash in the next two years. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's not nothing. It's that's, but that's also not backup money. So as soon as we saw those numbers, we said, okay, they've just shifted to a little bit of a lower performing but much less expensive player at that spot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now kind of running back okay that's one thing maybe not that crazy like you said you know a defense that comes from a analytics background so you figure maybe even if they were spending money elsewhere they might cut back at running back but they do go trades at area smith they sign marcus davenport so they have a you figure okay one guy in one guy out but yep. now we're seeing conversations about maybe uh daniel hunter their their best edge rusher getting possibly traded so what's the situation there uh, you know, it, it's a it's a complicated situation where Daniel Hunter. You know, if you just look at the numbers for this year, he's going to be paid like five around five million, five point five if he makes all his game day rosters, and that's very low for a ten sack mm-hmm. uh, pass. You know, edge pass rusher who has had double digit sacks as both a four three defensive end and a three four outside linebacker. Absolutely. Uh, part of the reason uh, that number is so low is that he had done a previous renegotiation to move money from this coming up season into previous years to, to sort mm-hmm. of uh, you know, give him a, a, a competitive salary in those years. So there is, was a little bit of give and take there. But in mm-hmm. the end, you know, he can argue that you know, he's 28 years old. He has sort of, in his mind, probably put behind the injuries that uh, – stymied him the previous two seasons he came back he ten and a half sacks last year as a three four outside linebacker most of them in the second half of the season uh mm-hmm. where he could argue that he kind of got a better uh sense of how to play that spot which is what he would be doing in the brian flores defense that the vikings are mm-hmm. going to have this year as well um and frankly you know he probably wants to cash in on that on that uh on that performance i guess i don't blame him because knowing his injury history, you never know what could happen this season and where he would be next year as a, as a pending free agent. And so I think that's, uh, you know, from his end, he's probably trying to make the most of the, of the, of the productive season he had last year. Uh, whereas the Vikings are, you know, if there's one theme for the most part, that's course through the way they've approached this off season, it's giving themselves future flexibility and not locking themselves into longer term deals real long-term deals, not just fake ones with voidable years, but actual deals that will dictate their personnel decisions in coming years, uh, trying to avoid that wherever they can. And we've seen that in multiple other spots. And so while Dan- Daniel Hunter might want the kind of you know open market uh, s- contract, multiple years, multiple years of guarantees mm-hmm. uh, that would come with the kind of season he had last year, that sort of flies in the face of what the Vikings are doing in this sort of competitive rebuild of their of their roster. And so I think that's where the stalemate is. Uh, mm-hmm. Him skipping minicamp entirely and taking the fines uh, seemed to me to be an escalation and the type of move a player makes when he just wants to be done with a mm-hmm. franchise. Uh, Kevin O'Connell talking to him this week is still pretty optimistic. He's generally optimistic about everything, but in this <laughs> case in particular, he's optimistic that you know cooler heads can prevail and they can figure out a way to make it work this year. Because as you mentioned, they did sign Marcus Davenport, which we all thought was a natural pre- you know, precursor and preview of their decision to part ways with Zadaria Smith. But they did not mm-hmm. sign or draft anybody else that you could reasonably project as a as a pass rusher that an mm-hmm. opponent would have to at least take. Uh, account of on a play-by-play basis so they certainly have seemed to have planned their roster around having him 
And so I don't think that they are eager to move on or give up on this in this stalemate. And so I guess stranger things have happened, but I, based on the clues the Vikings have given via their team building, I don't think that that's a player that they have targeted to part ways with. Yeah, that's what makes this so interesting to me is that we're not talking about this in March. You know, it's not as if we're sitting here in March and we saw people like Buda Baker, for example, come out and say, hey, pay me like a top level guy or trade me. Yeah, We saw DeAndre Hopkins make a trade request that ended up leading to his release. But we're sitting here now in June. We're approaching minicamp a lot or we're in minicamp. We're approaching training camp. Yeah. A lot of the top edge rushers are off the market. And this situation seems like it's coming to a head now. So... I, you used a phrase, competitive rebuild was the phrase you used, correct? Yeah, but that's uh, something that Kwesi Adolfo Mensa has sort mm-hmm. of used himself to describe what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So can you think of a situation like this in the past where we can talk about the underlying metrics? I think people know about the Vikings being good in close games, but this was a 13-4 and team last year. I mean, this is a team that was one of the best teams in the NFC, won the division, hosted a playoff game, you know, were, were celebrated for being one of the one of the best teams in football. And they're now, you know, you can competitive rebuild, you can phrase it the way you want to phrase it, but they're saying, hey, like we have to make major changes to our roster and we don't want to stick with what we have you know, over the next few years. And it's not just a Dalvin Cook where it's a position that you don't typically value. Edge rusher is the second most valuable, third most valuable position in all yeah. of football. And a guy who's been there in the prime of his, who's still in the prime of his career, played well in the second half last year, a player who has been on the Vikings his entire career. I mean, this is not Adam Thielen. This is not Eric Kendricks. This is not Dalvin Cook. This is a player you'd figure even if they were doing a competitive rebuild that they would want to have as one of those building blocks in the years to come. I, you, you would think that, I mean, there's, I guess in the case of Daniel Hunter, at least there's um, still the injury, you know, he could make the argument he came back from his two years of injuries, but there are those two years of injuries uh, are on his resume. And even though he's only 28, maybe in their mind, he's medically, a little bit older than that but regardless um i i think it probably points to you know we, we always and i've mentioned it myself many times sacks and you know and how that sort of seems to define edge rushers um, when there's other ways to look at it and i know for a fact that people in the vikings building look at pass rushing differently than just sacks there's you know pressure rates or just how consistent you are how efficient you are um, and I think maybe there, when you dig in a little deeper on Daniel Hunter, you maybe find some things that run counter to the idea that he's mm-hmm. a he's a dominant play-by-play pass rusher. But regardless, mm-hmm. uh, he is a player that I think teams, uh, if you're an opposing uh, offensive coordinator or you know head coach who's coming up with the, the weekly game plan. You may not rip up your entire scheme because of him, but you know where he, mm-hmm. you check out where he's going to be and you make sure that your line calls are, are such that they can be adjusted based on where he is. He's at least somebody you have to account for. And without him um, going into a, a season uh, with Marcus Davenport as, as the player you're assuming that offenses key in on if they key on anybody is mm-hmm. a pretty low bar and what i think it points to is a tremendous amount of confidence and as a result pressure on brian flores the new defensive coordinator who has been in a very aggressive blitzer in mm-hmm. previous stops where he has been calling the defensive uh plays to scheme up a rush where it wouldn't exist organically um, mm-hmm. which is 180 degrees from what they tried last year, which was we have Daniel Hunter and Zadaria Smith and, and whoever's in between those four guys, uh, mm-hmm. we're going to count on them to, to have the pass rush. So, you know, ideally you're somewhere in the middle there, but I, I, I think the story of their defensive rebuild at least has been that it's, you know, hopefully Brian Flores has a magic wand and maybe he does. <laughs> um, he's a very good coach. Uh, and it's had a lot of success defensively. Um, and it feels like there's going to have to be some of that uh, in order for them to, 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 to succeed on that side of the ball. Uh, at least publicly, 
Doesn't it feel like this is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, though, where you have a team that every metric says is likely to decline next year, possibly looking at 2023 as a year where they're taking a step backwards to move forward in the future, and they lose three or four more games this year than they did a year ago. And that's blamed on this front office meddling with a successful formula yeah. and trading away these key components to the roster. I mean, it, you know, obviously you don't want to be making decisions for one year. You want to have a long-term vision. And it's clear that, um, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell have that vision, but it, it, it just feels like it's going to, like you can see how it's going to go and you can see what the stories are going to be as a result of it. Is there any sort of concern that that the Vikings might be poisoning the well by by not leaning into the success they had a year ago? I don't know. Like I, I honestly think, except with Daniil Hunter, I think you can make a really defensible argument for parting ways, independent of whatever your goals are for 2023 or 2024 or beyond, for parting ways with the people they parted ways with. Like Adam Thielen, mm-hmm. you know, the last half of last season, he was really the the third probably the fourth option after kj osborne and tj hawkinson mm-hmm. i mean he was kind of demonstrating or they were demonstrating he was on his way out anyway eric kendrick's watching him run last year was not the same player um you know he'll be in a different scheme and and with the chargers and hopefully they can better maximize him but i think and i think even fans saw that i think they they're disappointed that Thielen being a hometown guy is not here but they saw that he was not running the same way and that he was not being used mm-hmm. the same way um, Zadarius Smith was kind of dis- disappeared after midseason. He had some knee problems and, and was not productive at all. Um, even mm-hmm. Patrick Peterson, who was their leading interceptor last year, um, you know, he was very much dependent on being able to, to play in, in zone most of the time. He admitted it. Like, it was much easier on his body. And if he was going to go back to being in a man-to-man situation in a Brian Flores defense, that wouldn't have worked. And Plus, their defense was one of the worst defenses in team history last year. And these are the, mm-hmm. we're talking about some of the key players that were involved in that. And so I, I don't think that, at least locally, you know, maybe nationally people will look at it differently. But locally, mm-hmm. I think people will look at it, fans and, and people in the media and that sort of thing. It's like, this, if anything, this should have happened a year ago. It, mm-hmm. You know, it was time to start that process a year ago. But what happened was, you know, the, the Wilfs who own the Vikings made it very clear is we don't do rebuilds. We don't do teardowns. We expect mm-hmm. to be competitive every season. And that's where Quasi started using the competitive rebuild. And the idea was basically to squeeze out every last bit of production and wins that the group they inherited had. Um, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, have a big draft last year where you get a bunch of players who can, who can uh, swing in and replace those people over the next couple of years. And, and several of them, many of them are being counted on to be starters this year. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll, if not this year, next year. Uh, and that, and that's kind of the approach they're taking. And so if anything, they were as surprised as anybody to win 13 games. I don't know if they, <laughs> I think they went into last year the same way a reasonable person would think about them this year is like a mm-hmm. team that has a chance to be hovering on either side of 500, which puts you in the, mm-hmm. in the wild card race. And that's, and that's what I would say about this team, too. Like, I, I, I have the exact same expectation before the 2023 season for them as I did for the 2022 season, which is what I said. Like, they, they would be, um, they'll be, they'll be around 500, and, and that puts you in the playoff race, and they'll be disappointed not to make the playoffs. The fact that they won 13 games last year in a, in a historic way um, is just sort of an anom- a pleasant anomaly, but it's, it's <laughs> and something that maybe derailed them in some long-term plans, for example, if they thought that they were going to try to get Kirk Cousins' replacement uh, in the draft this year, mm-hmm. uh, winning 13 games, you know, they lost that chance in terms of being able to be in draft position to do that. And so um, I, I think that's what happened. I think they were as surprised as anyone to be able to win that many close games. Um, and, you know, there's only 17 games in a season. They won 13. I think, you know, the problem, you know, always talks about thinking probabilistically. And mm-hmm. the problem, the probability is that they're going to lose uh, more than more than four this year. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and whether people locally, I, I think people locally, you know, anticipate that and know that mm-hmm. this hard work had to be done on the roster. And as long as they stay competitive in terms of the playoffs, I think they'll be okay with it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so fascinating because I, I just can't think of a situation where, you know, a team came out of nowhere, won 13 games, brought back, you know, starting quarterback, brought back a lot of the guys who people wanted to bring back. And yet the kind of the vast majority of people thinking about the team were like, yeah, they're, they're not going to be that good this year. Like, yeah. it, it's such a unique situation it, to, to me. To me, and it's smart, though, like, and not to be, I guess, sound like a homer, but I will, like, they have not allowed themselves to get caught up in of course in that. And that's good. If you're, if you're following the team in the long haul, um, that should be considered good, I think, that they have sort of stuck to what they were intending to do even before they found out that they were going to, that they had won 13 games and um, nothing that happened last year suggests to me that they should be all in, you know, right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they just gone down the line and made individual decisions and that have leaned towards the rebuilding uh, side of things. But if you, but if you view this as a teardown and it, or if anyone views this as a teardown, I think that's just a a mistake to to view it that way. Mm -hmm. Without, so it's certainly not a teardown, but a transition, certainly, yeah. it feels like in some ways. And then that naturally leads to the conversation about Kirk Cousins, yeah. where the Vikings went when Adolfo Mensa took over last year. They gave Kirk Cousins a one-year extension, uh, linking him to the team for one more year, but also using void years to create cap space. This year, when it came to the offseason, did use more void years to create more cap room, but did not give Kirk Cousins an extension. So after this year, Kirk Cousins would be a unrestricted free agent. And as you mentioned, the Vikings did not make a significant addition to their roster to add a quarterback in the long term to develop behind Kirk Cousins. They brought back Nick Mullins. They used a fifth round pick on Jaron Hall. But the 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 depth chart, the guy who's going to play quarterback for the Vikings in week one of 2024 is a mystery to I'm sure the Vikings and a lot of other people as well. So do you think any of these changes sort of tell us what's going to happen with Kirk cousins after this season? I think in their best case scenario, he's lights out this year and they feel like they have him. They want him as their starter and link him to O'Connell for the next two or three years. And that he can like, to me, if you say, how is this team on this path going to win the Super Bowl? Like, I would think the likeliest path is that somehow the O'Connell-Cousins connection creates the best seasons of Cousins' career at age 35, 36, 37 range, um, and that they, after this year, they re-sign him as a no-brainer, you know, and Mm -hmm. hope that he doesn't hold them over the barrel as a result of their decision not to do it before because he would be in a position to really hit them hard if he wanted to in terms of what he would be asking for. Um, Mm -hmm. because of their lack of options but like if you just look in in just blatant like job preservation the idea of of Adolfo Mensa and O'Connell going into a third season with a new with starting over at quarterback doesn't suggest that they'd be in position to win a Super Bowl at any point in their first four or five years together so you know, most owners, that's about the amount of time they give you to win the Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. The Wilfs have been more patient than many with both with their top uh, executives and with their coaches over time. But, like, to me, the the best case scenario for them is, is for, for Cousins to really catch, you know, have a great year and stay healthy and show that he's still very durable and make them want to re-sign him. And that's, that is very much an option. I mean, their whole goal here was to create the flexibility to do that or to move on without having to take into account his cap and contract situation and have that be a variable in their evaluation of, what, of whether to keep a player or not. They only wanted you know, to make decisions based on you know, performance and, 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 and you know, their evaluation of the person, not whether a cap hit would be so great that you know, that they could so if they had wanted to move on from him any time before now the cap situation prevented that and so i don't mm-hmm. know that they did but they didn't want to be in a position where cap alone was the reason they kept a certain person at a, at a position especially at quarterback and so if mm-hmm. they if that doesn't happen um and they say oh and they have a really bad year and they're in position to draft a, a quarterback in the top 10 for example then i guess that's the direction they go um the worst case scenario is they decide they don't want to bring him back um or he doesn't want to come back and Mm -hmm. they had a good enough season that they're not really in position to draft somebody that can start 
soon, if not right away, and then they have to sign next year's Derek Carr, if there is mm-hmm. one. Absolutely. And so You're that's, right. exactly. that's the worst case scenario. Because who, I don't even know if there's going to, who who's next year's Derek Carr? I don't even know. Um, Garoppolo, maybe? Maybe, but then. The, if he gets cut by the Raiders? He, he's this year's Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, but, <laughs> um, but it would be somebody like that, right? And so that doesn't seem like great quarterback building, but, you mm-hmm. know, that's the position they're in. Absolutely. So let me finish with two very unfair questions for you. <laughs> Give me a percent your percentage chance that Daniel Hunter is on the Vikings roster week one of twenty twenty three. Seventy five percent. You know, seventy five percent. Yeah, and I'm judging that mostly on the fact that um, they haven't they didn't do anything to to prepare for his departure, and they if they've proved one thing is that they're pretty thorough on the front end. They're not getting rid of people mm-hmm. until they have a you know, a plan B. And so maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he'll just be in a position where he's going to literally retire unless they trade him, which I don't think is going to be the case. But I honestly mm-hmm. think that would, it would have to get to that point before they uh, were willing to move on. And of course, give me a chance that Kirk Cousins is the quarterback for this team week one of the 2024 season. Dang, and I, I probably can't choose the exact same number. Can I say like 70, <laughs> 73%? I think it's Se- 73%. No, you know what? I'm going to say 78 because I think there's a better chance of, of Kirk being. I, I think there's a really good chance that that's what's going to happen. Um, wow. And I, I can't, you know, project his performance, but I can just tell you how I think O'Connell feels about him. Um, and we just talked about the logistics of moving on based on how they do. Um, I don't think they're going to be terrible this year. Um, I don't think that they're going to win the Super Bowl either. But I and I but I think Cousins has a pretty high floor at least. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think he's going to play his way out of this spot. And I don't know mm-hmm. if they're going to have a better option um, at that point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Kevin. Please tell the people where they can check out more of your coverage. Well, of course, on the Vikings page on ESPN.com, and my Twitter is uh, usually well populated, at least during football time, Seaford, at Seaford ESPN, and uh, can find it all there. Tremendous. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8 S A V E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, now joining me on the Bill Barnwell Show to resolve a situation that may have already been resolved. I'm not entirely sure what is happening here. I'm not sure if the Bills are entirely sure what's happening with Stefan Diggs, but joining me to talk about that and all things Bills here 
on the Bill Barnwell Show is ESPN's Bills writer, Elena Getzenberg. Elena, how are you? Um, <laughs> I, you know, this is not what I thought my mandatory mini minicamp would be. Uh, but here <laughs> I am. I am alive. You know, that's great. And I'm delighted to be on here with you. So we are making it through. This team is a little too interesting for me. So uh, that's really a large part of how I am personally doing. But besides that, I'm great. I'm happy to be on with you. And it's it's June in Buffalo. So things are things are happening. You know, it's always good when the answer to how are things going are, I'm alive. Very (laughs) promising. Um, Very weird as well, this situation. And I want to get your perspective on sort of the, the broader idea of what happened which led to what happened yesterday, which is Stefan Diggs leaving uh, camp after showing up very briefly in the morning and Sean McDermott putting out a quote that he was very concerned, quote unquote, about the situation. So let's start with the Diggs side of things. What happened here that led Stefan Diggs to leave? That is the big question. So I think we've got it narrowed down now where there was a lot of confusion as to, you know, did he come in feeling a certain way? What was going on with that? But it seems that there was something happened that happened yesterday. He was here Tuesday morning, like you said, um, for meetings. He was here. He was participating in some sort of conversation that involved Sean McDermott. And from what Mm -hmm. Josh Allen said, it appears he was there as well. And other parties, no one wants to say everyone who was there, but something happened in a meeting where things led to a certain point and Sean Mm -hmm. McDermott and everyone there decided they needed some space. Some air Mm -hmm. was needed. And Sean McDermott then excused Stefan Diggs, something he did not share on Tuesday, Mm. um, from practice. So gave him the permission to leave the facility facility not be there for practice that day and then they kind of came back and apparently had conversations after practice Tuesday they said those conversations continued Sean McDermott said on Wednesday so mm-hmm. it's something happened Tuesday that kind of set things off I do think you know it's clear these issues are from last season some mm-hmm. you know from last season from frustrations if you look at Stefan Diggs numbers in the second half of last season He Mm -hmm. got, it went down significantly. He was on Mm -hmm. pace for a career year and that went down quickly. There's a lot of reasons for that. We can unpack that. But basically Mm -hmm. something happened Tuesday that led to people getting upset, tensions flaring. He then left, but then he was here Wednesday fully, you know, he was out there. He didn't do team drills, but he's back at practice doing handshakes, dancing. So when you say resolved, it kind of is a bit of a question mark because yes, he's here, but fully resolved, I don't think that's yet the case. Mm. So what, when it comes to last year, what, you know, were, were there were there outward signs of Stefan Diggs's frustration that would have led a Bills fan to be concerned heading into the offseason? So yes and no. This is interesting to me because I think a lot of people obviously watch playoff games and yes. they saw the outburst that Steph had at the end of that Bengals game with Josh, you know, moving his hands around, doing his thing. And to me, as someone who covers this team, that was like, meh. Like <laughs> it was normal. Steph does that. He did it at the things. Like I can remember like a number of instances where he's like looked angry on a sideline. And to me, that wasn't like, oh, my God, like something's mm-hmm. wrong. Like he's mm-hmm. flipping out. So Steph is a like self-proclaimed, like dramatic person who like <laughs> cares a lot <laughs> and he loves football and he loves winning. And so he's not afraid to show his emotions on a sideline. But I mm-hmm. do think if you were looking at that, that could be a concern seeing him have an outburst like that, seeing him clearly angry towards his quarterback or like at least pointing in that direction. Mm-hmm. So I think there are things that you could point to and be like, oh, but he was upset about, you know, the Bengals game. Oh, he was upset about, you know, when he didn't get enough targets in November. I think there's different games you can point to. Mm-hmm. But because of who Stefan Diggs is, I think that's taking it like you're assuming. Like, I think this might be more internal than like it looks. Like, I there are outbursts, but I don't necessarily think you can be like, that is the cause of this issue. Mm-hmm. So does the fact that McDermott worded his feelings about this 
as very concerned separate this for you from maybe other instances in the past where Stefan Diggs was having a bad day? This is a, a really, the situation is so weird. Like, I don't know like how to really else to say it because Sean McDermott said today that, you know, he's very concerned. He's, he feels that way when a player misses practice for any reason. Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> that's why sure. I said it was weird. I do think it's very interesting because I think Sean McDermott is someone who came into the press conference on Tuesday feeling angry you know or like Mm -hmm. i don't want to say put feelings on him i won't do that to sean but i'll say he seemed angry he seemed a little more like on edge than sometimes he does and i think you know he was coming off this conversation or however it went down with steph and so i think Mm -hmm. feelings were high and i think he responded in that way partly because of a a heated or whatever conversation that led to him leaving the building Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i do think it is it is something. It is. He wouldn't have said very concerned if he wasn't very concerned. We can. That that's true. And I am not totally on page with the idea that you know he feels this way about any player or any high-profile player that misses practice. I do think this is something. It is something worth noting. It is. You know, if he hadn't said the very concerned, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right mm-hmm. now, though. Like it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have reached this point. So mm-hmm. I do think it's something. He hasn't said that towards Stefan Diggs before, and he's meant, been asked many times about Stefan Diggs being an emotional player. So I think it's something worth noting, and it's something that while Sean McDermott on Wednesday said it's resolved, I think it's something they are still going to be sorting through. So you don't feel like the fact that Stefan Diggs was back at practice, having a fun time seemingly, draws an end to this story whatsoever. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I don't think it's an end to the story. I think it's a step in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. I think it means that, I mean, I don't. there wasn't really do- any doubt in my mind, but Stefan Diggs will be playing for the Buffalo Bills in 2023. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, he, he, this team, first of all, cannot afford to lose Stefan Diggs. I don't know if you've looked at their wide receiver room too much, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's just say they cannot afford to lose Stefan Diggs. And also, I mean... <sighs> He wants to be here in a mm-hmm. large part of it. I think he is someone who, in his history and in his time with this team, he would like the football. And mm-hmm. based on Josh Allen's comments about this, they're, you know, he prioritized how he said they can get Steph the ball more mm-hmm. and get him more involved in this offense. So mm-hmm. I think when your franchise quarterback wants him here and wants him more involved in the offense, you know, he's going to be here. But there's clearly like... I think there's a reason for concern. One thing I'll be watching is how much are they forcing the ball to Stefan Diggs? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the ramifications of this are not simple. And that's why I think a large part it's not over because there's many, many things to come from it. Am I crazy? Or in that Lions game last year, wasn't it like Stefan Diggs had no catches for most of the game or like one catch for most of the game? And then suddenly he got the ball like four times on one drive. Am I imagining yep. that? You are not. <laughs> okay, good. That, yeah. <laughs> but that My memory, thing. better than I thought. You, yeah. I, I think you know you have a good memory, Bill. I, mm. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... But no, I there were multiple games, to your point, like in the second half of last season, mm-hmm. where it was like, why is Stefan Diggs the number one receiver by a large margin in this offense? No offense, Gabe Davis, but by a large <laughs> margin not more involved like i remember like saying that out loud multiple times like why are you not getting stefan diggs involved and i Mm -hmm. think he felt those frustrations as well so you're do you feel personally responsible in some way for (laughs) no for the situation (laughs) don't put that on me (laughs) no i don't bill's mafia wasn't me i promise oh oh bill's mafia already furious at me today because i did tweet something i thought was clear that the bills were not going to trade stefan diggs and bills fans got very mad at me for suggesting that stefan diggs was going to be traded which is not the point of my tweet i'll bring it up because it's relevant to the conversation we're having about stefan diggs which is that Yes, trading Stefan Diggs is not impossible. They would save $1.6 million in cap space this season, but they'd have more than $31 million in dead money on their cap next year, which, again, not impossible to do. They could theoretically make it work, but it would be very damaging 
for the team. They had to be a lot more creative with their cap space to create room to get a player to replace Stefan Diggs both this year and next year. And on top of that, the thing I believe really stands out to me as to reason why this is not going to happen is that the Bills just paid Stefan Diggs a $16 million bonus in March. And, and I don't think if you're Brandon Bean, I know you have a great relationship with your owner. I know you have a lot of credibility. You've built up the benefit of the doubt. I just can't imagine that you're going to go to your owner after paying a player $16 million in March and then say, yeah, we're going to trade him now before he's played a single game after that bonus. Just seems like something that you would get yelled at if you tried to do if you were the Buffalo Bills front office. I agree with you, but also I heard rumors you were trying, you personally were trying to trade Stefan Diggs. Why? So don't turn this on me. No, this is a deflection, deflection for me accurately pointing out that you have, uh, you have escalated the Stefan Diggs situation. Um, no, I mean, I sure, fair, but it, it just, it doesn't feel like it makes sense. Like it, it only would make sense if the situation was just so destroyed that that the Bills just had no choice but to trade Stefan Diggs. This makes sense for their team winning in twenty twenty three. It just feels like maybe that that relationship, which is something they have to manage, that is not a it's not a binary everything's great everything's terrible situation. It just feels like maybe it's a little more frayed and a little more tempestuous maybe than it felt like heading into training camp well to your point like yeah yeah but to your point like with brandon bean walking into terry pagula's office who by the way has been at minicamp the past two days so has had a front and center look to this situation um i can't imagine i mean can you imagine stefan diggs walking into brandon bean's office and saying trade me i would Mm. if i was brandon bean i'd be like yeah okay like (laughs) it wouldn't even be something i would entertain because who is playing wide receiver for this team then they can't replicate his production i think brandon bean did a nice job this offseason of adding supplemental parts to this wide Mm -hmm. receiver room i like trent sherfield i like deontay hardy he's very short so i'm in solidarity with (laughs) him but (laughs) but i think they make sense for the bills offense but they did not add I don't think they did enough to help the number two receiver role, let mm-hmm. alone number one receiver. I just do not have that confidence in Gabe Davis. So there's just this is a year they're trying to win a Super Bowl this year there. You cannot find a wide receiver. You cannot convince me that you can find a wide receiver right now to replace Stefan Diggs. Like I, you just if I'm Brandon Bean, I can't even begin to entertain it. There's just no you need him. You need his production. You need what he can do with Josh Allen, which we've seen mm-hmm. time and time again. So this whole thing to me is, you know, that's why this whole situation is interesting because it's like they have to resolve it. They have Mm -hmm. to all get on the same page because otherwise it gets really bad really quickly because they just didn't. I mean, Dalton Kincaid's great and I think he's going to be really cool in this offense, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't replace. You need Stefan Diggs. You need these players. So, yeah, I just it's certainly an interesting conversation to talk about stuff getting traded. And like you said, the cap implications are also huge but i just this offense without him would be bleak in my opinion yeah of course and 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 the sort of like the the madden element of like oh just plug and play a different guy like sign deandre hopkins like it does not work that way it would be very messy financially to get hopkins on the cap and trade digs it's just not gonna happen like uh, to me this is more about what could happen in 2024 like if they go through this year and stefan diggs is still frustrated and we get to march next year and they have a full offseason to replace stefan diggs if they do move on that seems more plausible to me than the idea that they're going to do something right now that's very interesting because gabe davis is a free agent after this year as well so you we would be talking about potentially depleting their wide receiver core <laughs> and like just start starting over fresh. Yeah, yeah just starting over and i do you know there is something like if steph doesn't get with you know it doesn't go steph's way they don't get um maybe on a bit of a better page you know it's not the wildest thing in the world i'd say i think brandon bean would welcome an opportunity to you know, he's got some big cap hits on deck for the coming years. So maybe creating some, if they could do something to create some flexibility. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it is a conversation down the road um, because there's clearly, I mean, to again, 
the ramifications from this tomorrow, will there be something? Probably not. But like during the season, could we see this pop up? You know, I think we're going to see this is this is something. And could it be that his time, you know, I was at a press conference when he signed his extension in April 2022. And it was like Stefan Diggs is going to retire a Buffalo Bill. That's what mm-hmm. he wants. That's what they want. I think things we've seen things can change quickly and yes. it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. There's no question. Yeah, he will be wanting the football this season. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he can feel the, whatever was missing for him last year is kind of fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what makes this so, so fraught maybe, or maybe at least, you know, from the outside feels so fraught is that last year was a lot for the Buffalo Bills. It was not a easy season. The DeMar Hamlin game and his injury, of course, the snowstorm and moving a game to Detroit, Josh Allen's injury, the secondary being even outside of Hamlin ripped apart by injuries. It just felt like a really draining year for the Bills from the outside. So let me ask you now, in these first few days of being around this team, leaving the dig situation aside, if you can, how does it feel relative to how it felt this time last year? It's so interesting because like I just walked off a practice field like an hour ago or whatever. And mm-hmm. I watched Damar Hamlin. He's playing like a normal football player. And like <laughs> I think sometimes like, you know, he's been doing that for a, a bit, a little bit now. And I think sometimes like even saying that is like wild because saying last year is a lot just doesn't even like it was crazy. And I think, I think this team does have a it has a different feel to it from last year. I think there was something to, you know, last year this was the team that was supposed to win the Super Bowl. This was the team that everyone picked as the number one team. And I think this team is feeling that Bengals loss. Like I think that's with them. They do, you know, there's something to like everything they went through last year and, you know, from a mental capacity, just like getting through the blizzards, getting through everything with DeMar, and then what happened in Orchard Park in January, just, I think Mm -hmm. it it feels different than last year, like that there's more of an edge, there's more of like a frustration to it, but it's so early that it's a little hard to say, but I do think it's so interesting because like some of some people, most of this team is the same as last year, but there are some missing pieces, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they kind of adapt to the AFC East getting, you know, better around them. That's been, I mean, how many times have I heard Aaron Rodgers' name, like, (laughs) come up in conversation here just because, like, it is a different, they're used to winning this division now over the past couple years, three years, Mm -hmm. and it's different. So I do think there is a different feel to this team compared to last year. Um, but I think they still think this is Super Bowl or bust. That is very loud, and they think this team can win a Super Bowl. So it's different, and I think they're still kind of moving past everything that happened last year. But there's still those those high expectations, and it's going to be interesting to see because this is, again, not the same team as last year, and I think they've made some changes that will be how they pan out um, will be will be telling. And also, if you haven't heard, this is the new Josh Allen this offseason. He's never been more focused on football. So stay tuned. <laughs> that hadn't occurred to me that Josh Allen could get more focused on football. Um, <laughs> he can. <laughs> does, he look, does he look recovered from his injury? Yes. But also he has a, a – no one will let me call it a mullet. But he has longer hair, (laughs) longer hair in the back. I think it's becoming a mullet. But yes, he looks recovered. Um, I think it's really positive that he didn't end up having to get surgery on that elbow. That was like something that they wanted to get past. So, yes, he's healthy. He staying healthy has been somehow overall he's been able to do it pretty well. So that'll be key, obviously. But yes, besides the mullet, he looks like normal Josh Allen. So are you implying that the focus on football has led to him having a mullet now because he's not paying attention to his hair? <laughs> Bill, <laughs> I will decline to comment <laughs> on that. Okay, fair. No, That's fair. I, That's fair. You know, he is embracing being very focused on football. He's trying yep. to fix some of the things from last season. And maybe this new Josh Allen just comes with a new hairstyle. And That's fair. We're all in it for the ride to see how long it's going to grow in the back. 
So that's totally that's fair. What, that's what I'm looking for. Stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned for those updates. Okay. So one more question for you. There's been a lot of talk this offseason about, you know, how Josh Allen has to protect himself to avoid getting injured, how they're not going to have him run the ball as often, or he's not going to put his body at risk. Do you believe that is actually going to play out when the season starts? Or do you think there's actually been sort of a shift mentally for Josh where, or maybe in terms of how the offense is structured or how, how Josh is, where that's not going to be quite as focal of a, a spot in this offense for Josh Allen running the football? That's an interesting component of the new Josh Allen. Yes, he told okay. he said he's acknowledging his age, which he's 27, everyone. So... <laughs> um, that's a really interesting question. I do think that's something I've been going back and forth with because he said it in a way I haven't heard him say before, which was like, I need to be aware of the hits I am taking. I know that I will not bounce back the same way, all that. However, <laughs> I think they can say that and maybe his rushing attempts will go down a bit, but I have a really hard time seeing them actually being able to take that component out of Josh Allen's game. That component where he's going to scramble, he's going to move around. That's just who he is as a football player. And it's part of what makes him a very good football player is his ability, his ability to like juke guys and do Mm -hmm. I mean the leaps, you know, like that's part of what makes him successful. And I think they are going to try because they realize he needs to stay healthy but I think that's a lot easier said than done when he's getting first downs. I think we'll see it in on second and three. Maybe he, you know, like we're going to, I think there's going to be situations where it's like, this isn't as meaningful and they'll try to dial it back some when it's like, you can Mm -hmm. just hand it off and (laughs) someone else can put their body (laughs) on the line versus you. But I think it's still going to be a major part of his game and something that they just have to accept that is just part of having Josh Allen as your franchise quarterback. And will that eventually, you know, could it lead to injury? Sure. But I just think like we might see some reduction, but I have a hard time believing that it's going to actually be as maybe as dramatic of a change as he kind of indicated it to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Elena, if people want to check out your coverage of Josh Allen's mullet of Josh Allen's (laughs) changing attitude towards running the football or anything else bills, where can they do that? Um, on ESPN.com, uh, all of my stories are there. And then at a Getzenberg on Twitter. Tremendous. Elena, thank you so much for hopping on. I really feel like we got to the crux of who is to blame for the Stefan Diggs situation. I'm not going to name names, but I feel like Bill's fans can now focus their thoughtful aggression towards the appropriate person who caused this to happen. (laughs) Not on you. (laughs) Not on me. (laughs) Not on me. I would never (laughs) insult the Bills. Um, But Elena, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to my guests today, Kevin Seifert, Elena Getzenberg, two of the best at ESPN when it comes to covering their teams. Highly recommend you check both of them out on Twitter. They gave their Twitters as well, but check them out on ESPN. Hope you guys are enjoying the mini camp week lots of testy fans out there i will say it's a it's an emotional time i think for a lot of us when it comes to figuring out what's happening in the nfl but hope you guys are enjoying the off season hope you're getting some sun and we'll be back next week with more football here on the bill barnwell show but thanks so much for listening